Hello, and thank you for joining the North Point Church Lutes podcast. We're excited that you found us, and we pray that you'll come back often and listen again and again. Each week, we upload the content preached in one of the North Point Church services here in Lutz, and we pray that you'll come back and listen and marinate on what it is that God was teaching us. The more that these messages get into your heart, the more that you have the opportunity to be obedient and allow them to change your life. We believe that God is real and His Word is true, and that has the power to change your life. So let's lean in together and see what it is that God has in store for you today. Man, good morning. Good morning. Thank you for worshiping with us today, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He is so worthy of our worship, folks. Uh, Today, we'll close our service out with another opportunity to worship Him. I just want to encourage you, every time we come into this place to worship God, it is never a spectator sport. We are designed to worship God. This is what we're here for, to bring Him glory That's what we're created in him to do is to bring him glory with our lives and to worship him with our lives and our stories. And this morning we're going to look at Galatians chapter 2 today again. Uh, God, I thought, was bringing me to Galatians chapter 3. And the more that I began to work on Galatians chapter 3, the more that he said, I'm not done with Galatians chapter 2. And so um, I've created Galatians chapter 3 and made it a go deeper for you. And for those that are used to using that Go Deeper resource, I want to encourage you to to, um, take hold of that because it's going to be very valuable for you next week as we build upon uh, all these successive chapters. But God wouldn't let me go of Galatians chapter 2. I need to go back and deal with some issues that were there, still left there for me to tackle. But, um, But go do the Go Deeper this week. And there's included with that a video that talks about Galatians chapter 3 and Galatians chapter 4. It's like a six-minute video. It's not a long video, but it's really helpful in understanding some of the complicated truths that you'll, you'll find there in a way that's an easy shelf to understand it. Not super... Um, uh, it's it unpacks some really deep theological truths in a really easy way to understand, which is the stuff I need to be able to do. So uh, I put it there as a video link for you. I uh, pray that you'll, you'll take hold of that. But what I want to go back and deal with a little bit more is an issue that, um, that I thought maybe even a little unresolved, and I, and I want to spend a little more time on it. Last week, we talked about the simplicity of the gospel, which, which wasn't difficult to understand. And that is the fact that um, the simplicity of the gospel is that by grace we are saved through faith and not of works, lest any man should boast. That was what Paul taught us in the book of Ephesians. But the same author of the book of Ephesians was the book of Galatians, and he's been teaching us that same thing. The book of Galatians had a unique spin on it, uh, is that Paul was talking to an audience, the church, the churches in Galatia, who um, had an, uh, a group of Judaizers. Uh, these were teachers of the law that had come in and were trying to add to Paul's gospel. Paul was saying it was by faith that we were saved. And the Judaizers were coming in and saying, yeah, 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 that's all good and all. But you've got to first have the religious rule following. You have to be doing the law stuff first. And then you can supplement the law with Jesus Christ. And then you really have the perfect level of salvation. So it's, it's religious rule following first. You've got to do these things. You've got to follow all the religious practices. Then you can add Jesus to the equation. 
and then you're good to go. And Paul's like, no, 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 no. It's not about religious rule following. And so I spent a lot of time last week doing, explaining that. So it's not about doing good works that saves us. It's about what Jesus had done for you, right? And so that was pretty easy to understand. The gospel's simple in that regard. But what may be confusing is that last week I said there's a simplicity of the gospel, but there's also a sacred responsibility that once we're saved, that you and I have a responsibility to share our faith. And that could sound like that we have, that we've been saddled with on the backside of our salvation with this responsibility to do good works. And it's the word responsibility that I felt like I needed to go back and do a little bit of wordsmithing with you and I today. Because when I look at the word responsibility, it conjures up inside of me things that bring me back to my childhood. Um, My responsibilities as a kid were also equated with synonyms like chores and tasks. Uh, Did you do your responsibilities? Did you do your chores? Did you do your duties? These were things that I was tasked with, and those were usually things that I just the thought of those responsibilities were were, were things that brought me a level of kind of like weight. And so when we, when we talk about when we, we love the fact that God saved us, but oftentimes when we think about the, the work that God's called us to do as believers, and that is sharing our faith, is that it can look like sometimes that it's a weight that you and I have been saddled with. We can look at it as if God has somehow given us some type of huge door-to-door solicitation job that nobody wanted, but we just, because we got eternal life, we got saddled up with. You, you with me? And, and so I want to go back and make sure that you understand fully that this isn't just some multi-level marketing thing that you said yes to Jesus, and now you have to just do this in order to like make God happy and to keep this thing going because you said yes. We got we to gotta figure out what this is. And so what I'm submitting to you today is that this, when you are saved, This responsibility, this sacred responsibility, I'm going to change the words, that when you're saved, there's something that is natural and normal that should happen in every believer, and that natural and normal thing is that you should naturally and normally share your faith. It should just naturally and normally happen. Now, immediately in your life, you're thinking, well, it's not naturally and normally happening for me. And so I want to put my finger on first, first is that it's natural and normally. It should be naturally and normally, happen, normally happening in your life. And secondly, identifying if it's not, then how do we fix that? So that's kind of my goal today. And so I want to dive in with that right now. So last week I showed you a world map. And so let's look at that world map again. Now imagine with me just for a moment that you were there on that incredibly amazing day where Jesus would have given the the Great Commission, that moment. This is the kind of the, the starting gun, so to speak, when Jesus would say, go into all the world and make disciples. And lo, I am with you always, you know, until the ends of the earth, right? That whole, that big speech that he gave, that big motivating moment where, where the gospel would move from that little nation of Israel and then somehow reverberate into the entire world and circumvent the entire globe, right? And, and so you're standing there in that moment, but here's what you don't know is that you have never seen a world map before. And so you have no idea. Now remember, you're, you're, I want you to go back in time with me. You've never seen the globe. You have no idea how big this job is that you just got like told, go into all the world. 
You have no idea how big the earth is. The only person, as a matter of fact, who actually knows how big a job that, that, that is actually the scope and the magnitude and the daunting task is the person who's actually making the statement is Jesus Christ. He's the, only, he's the only person that actually knows how big the world is. Why? Because he was actually present at creation. God's, world tells, God's word tells us that Jesus was present at creation. He's part of the Trinity. He was there. And so when Jesus says, go into all the world and make disciples, he understands the scope and magnitude and breadth and the level of daunting task that this would actually be. So do you think that as he looks out upon this motley crew, I don't know how big of the group of people it was. Scripture gives us kind of an insight and idea, but we don't really know exactly. Do you think that Jesus is looking out in this group of people and he's going, man, this is a big job for them. Like, oh my gosh, we should have brought more people to this, to this speech. We should invent live streaming right now and like get this message out to a lot more people. Broadband would be really helpful right this second. You think Jesus was thinking to himself that this is never going to happen with this group of people? No. Do you think that he was thinking this was the wrong time to launch such a big campaign? No. You know why he didn't sweat it? Is that he knew and understood what Paul would tell us in Ephesians chapter 2. Right after he said that it's by grace that you are saved through faith, not of yourselves, not of works, lest any man should boast. He would say these words in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. That you and I were created for this purpose. He would say, for we are God's handiwork. We are created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You see, the reason that Jesus didn't freak out or didn't, wasn't concerned when he said, go into all the world, to this small audience, knowing that the world, that this message would have to somehow circumvent this gospel message until the entire world, is, <laughs> is that he knew that the crowd he was talking to was wired up for the job. The children of God were created in Christ Jesus designed to be naturally motivated and to normally carry out the task of spreading the gospel at that level of magnitude. And that if they would just do what they've been called and created to do, it would, it would happen. It would be accomplished. And that's exactly what the early Christians did. They were designed for this. Let's look at them for a moment, and then let's look back at us, because we're no different than them. For the early Christians, they were designed for it. For them, this function, because they were created in Christ Jesus, they were created for the job, they, this was going to be natural and normal for them to share their faith. For them, this would be how they would bear fruit. Uh, they were a follower of Christ. They were children of God. And so this is how it would be known, that they were followers of God. They wouldn't have to even force this to happen. This would be natural and normal for them. In fact, for them, this function of them making themselves known as a follower of Christ and, and this, this sharing of their faith would be, would be so um, natural and normal that it would almost be virtually unstoppable. As a matter of fact, 
that you would have to persecute them and imprison them in order to stop it. And they, they learned that if you kill them, it almost sends this message even stronger. And so you get the, you get the picture that this was happening naturally and normally. But the same is true for us today. We, as Christians, it should be happening naturally and normally for us. We should be bearing fruit in the same way of sharing our faith. It should be virtually unstoppable. So let me ask you a couple questions, and then we'll move on. Considering that map and considering the gospel's reach, 2,000 years now this message has been going, and the early church no doubt did a great job sharing their faith. It's a natural expression of fruit of what they were doing. The question is, do you think the gospel has reached everywhere that Jesus had intended it to go? That's the first question. Do you think the gospel has gone everywhere that Jesus had intended it to go in the world? Maybe geographically we could say that it has reached geographically around the world. I would say that there's unreached people groups. There's, there's organizations that are working hard to get this gospel message to unreached people groups, as you and I know. So we know that there's still territory to cover. But I would also say that there's family members and co-workers and neighbors that you and I have that don't know the gospel. So therefore, it hasn't reached everyone that Jesus would have intended it to reach. So the gospel hasn't reached everywhere that Jesus has intended it to go. And so the second question is, we stood there on the, the precipice just moments ago in a kind of a fictitious way. We stood there, uh, or an imaginative way, where we stood there when we were there when Jesus kind of said this great commission moment, and he told us all to go into all the world, and we kind of imagine what that moment was, must have felt like. But do you think that, uh, do you think that time's running out? Do, do you think that, uh, so do you think that, that there's a conclusion coming to this? Do you think that, so do you think that the, for the, the message has made it for, as far as it needs to go? I don't, I, I think there's still places it needs to go. But do you think that time is running out for this message to get where it needs to go? Yes, I do. So stop and think for, for a moment that you and I are living, this is crazy to think about, that you and I are living potentially, and I, and I think it's highly likely that you and I are living in the generation that is witnessing the completion of the Great Commission, that we're going to see the fulfillment of that Great Commission, where we'll finally reach that end point in time, because there is a point in time when our Lord will return. He says, I'm coming again. And so there's a point he says, I want you to go because I'm coming again. And in the meantime, I want you to tell as many people as you can about my free gift of salvation. That means time is of the essence. The day of the Lord's return is at hand. And as things begin to draw to an end, the urgency to act increases. You know this to be true. You have Memorial Day weekend. You're going to hear, turn on the radio even today. Memorial Day sale. Act today. For today only. Tomorrow only, right? And it's just act now because what time is of the essence? Memorial Day weekend, the sale ends Monday, right? And, and so they're trying to get you to hurry up and act now because time is of the essence. The window of opportunity is closing to get the special, to get the deal. And so as the, because the window of opportunity is closing, there should be a natural acceleration of your action in order to take advantage of it. 
I, um, I used to work for Kmart when I was a kid, 1985. Remember the blue light special? Okay, some of the older people remember that. I was the blue light special guy. I was the guy that pushed the blue light around, and I had the little tickets, and I could reticket your items. I was also the guy that did the microphone thing. Attention, Kmart shoppers. Look up and look around and see that famous Kmart blue light flashing in our toy department right now. We're taking 10% off off Fisher Price and Mattel toys. That's right, 10%. Now, you don't have to run, but you do have to hurry. Be sure to have your items reticketed before entering our front line at checkouts. And as always, thank you for shopping on Nebraska Avenue Kmart. <laughs> so, right. I was creating urgency. For every moment that would pass, another minute would come back, I'd get back on and create urgency. Those people, would, you would think I was giving away oxygen. <laughs> people were running over people with their shopping carts. I was reticketing things left and right. When we realize how much time we have left, there's an urgency and a speed that takes place. The day of the Lord's returning is at hand. We are living in a generation where we're likely witnessing that moment setting itself up. That's why I believe we're seeing technology and communication rapidly increasing in what it's doing. Listen, if you're 70 or 80 years old, you've watched technology do incredible leaps and bounds, haven't you? Look, if you're, I'm 52, I've watched technology. I saw the internet come in 1995. My wife says, there's this crazy thing called the World Wide Web. You won't believe it. I learned about it in school today. <laughs> I mean, 1995, we have seen crazy stuff happen. Wouldn't you think if the Lord's day of return is coming soon that he wouldn't get technology and things up to get this message sped up to be able to get it out to the people? Look, I'm telling you, there's an urgency that comes with that. that means that you and I are living in a day and age, and we have the opportunity to join God in the completion of that kingdom work. Our job is the same as just like those people who stood and listened to Jesus' great commission years ago. But here's the thing that's just been blowing my mind. It feels like for Christians today, this is the, this is the thing that I'm just wrestling with. I'm trying to understand and process. It feels like today that instead of the, an urgency, because as I think we get it, that Jesus is eminently returning, Instead of an urgency to act with an increasing level of awareness and like, let's go, go, go. It feels like amongst the church, capital C, we may be decreasing and losing momentum versus rallying together and gaining momentum. Kind of feels like to me that the world is shifting and focusing more on our own personal kingdoms then we're paying attention and focusing on the kingdom that's to come. That's eminently coming. And if that's the case, especially if it's the case in your life, then something's wrong. And I, and I just want us to focus on that because it's not too late to, to make a correction. You see, as believers... and. As a church, we have flags when you drive in. It's our core values. It's our mission statement that we exist to, to know God more and to make him known and make disciples. That's the flags when you drive in our campus. It's not just a clever catchphrase. We really believe that. Those are three prescriptions or recipes that grow in your relationship with God. 
And you're here today and you're watching online as proof, as evidence that you want to know God more. And I commend you for that. I mean, after all, it's, we all need to know God more because we all have a need for God to speak truth in our life and to give us guidance and direction. We want God to give us um, help when we're hurting. We need guidance. We need uh, hope. We need healing. We, we, we just need, we need God's interaction in our lives. Unfortunately, we want God to work in our personal kingdom a lot, you know? I want God, this is my kingdom, and Lord, I need your influence to make this a really great place. I want, I want, I want to know God more, and I know that you want to know God more. But it can't just stop there. Very few people struggle in the area of wanting to know God more, but so many Christians, if you're honest with yourself, will say, I do struggle with making him known. I don't do that really well. And through the classes I've taught over the years and the conversations I've had with people and the honest conversations I've had with myself, here are some of the reasons that we don't share our faith. Well, I'm just kind of, I'm uncomfortable doing it. I, I'm afraid to do it. I get anxious when I feel like I need to do that. You know, I just don't know what to say when people ask me about it or like when I feel like the conversation needs to be said, I, I clam up. I, some of you say, I just, I have a fear of rejection and I, I don't, I don't want to start the conversation because what if they just shut me down? I'm afraid that I'm going to make somebody mad. I don't want to offend them. I'm afraid that they're going to ask me a question that I don't know the answer to, and I'm going to look stupid. I'm, going to, I'm afraid I'm just going to say the wrong thing, make God look bad. Or no one ever trained me how to share the gospel, and I'm just going to blame somebody else. Like My church doesn't have a program to do it, so... I'm kind of off the hook until they offer that. And then when they do offer it, I'm working that day and I can't make it. So technically, when they offer it on a schedule that's convenient and then I'm good, I'll go. But right now it's not, you know. So whatever. We have excuses, right, of why we can't do it. So how do you rate yourself in that area? Would you consider yourself a person that actively looks for opportunities to share your faith? Or would you say that you're weak in this area? Just honestly, you don't have to write it down. You don't got to tell me. You don't got to stand up. I'm not going to embarrass you. But if you struggle in this area, you're not alone. But before you kind of take comfort in the fact that you're not alone in this area, it can lead you to an improper conclusion. Because it somehow it is comforting to know that I'm not alone in the way that I feel. As if you think that if I'm not alone, then it must be normal and natural because everyone feels this way. But when you look at Scripture, you'll realize that it's not normal and it's not natural for you to be afraid. It's not normal and it's not natural for you not to share your story about what Christ has done in your life. It's actually abnormal and it's actually it can indicate that something's wrong. So I just want to call it out and have you evaluate this in your life. You see, what's interesting to me is that nowhere in Scripture, this is so, man, so big, and I'm going I'm to read this. I wrote in my notes that nowhere in Scripture do you see the early church feeling fearful or frustrated or overwhelmed or overburdened or scared 
or intimidated or nervous with the responsibility to share the gospel. Nowhere do you see the early church like freaking out about, I don't really feel comfortable doing this. And to my knowledge, Paul never wrote an epistle dealing with this as an issue in the early church. Now, the early church had many issues, but evidently sharing the gospel, sharing their personal story, how Jesus changed their life, wasn't one of them. Isn't that interesting? Of all the problems the early church had. Now, our church in our day has a lot of problems, too. But our church culture and the capital C church of the world today, we have a glaring problem where we just don't share our faith. The early church didn't have that problem. Was it because that Jesus was just this great communicator and had a great commission, like inspirational message and like everyone just bought into it? Yeah, I mean, yes, I'm sure that that they were close to what happened. They saw him. They saw him crucified, and they, they had life-changing stories. No doubt there was this really cool encounter that they had with him. But, but what, what took place lasted long beyond what just took place at Calvary. The movement of the church, it, it, it expanded far beyond just, that, just, the, just the central moment of, of Israel. It's moved all the way to us over 2,000 years, and it's reverberating but it seems to be diminishing in its focus as time becomes more urgent and time becomes more of the essence. And so if the days are drawing close, what can we do to amplify and turn up that message? And so I began to kind of figure out, okay, was it the fact that he was this great communicator? Was it all about the Great Commission? And you know what? The more I began to look, I said, okay, so let's look outside of the Great Commission for a minute. And let me look at three scenarios so I found three, actually. Of before the Great Commission, how did people behave before they were told to do it? Before it was the responsibility, okay? Before it was they were tasked with this job to do it, okay? And so let's just see, because, because you could say that Jesus got up there and spoke, and everyone was like, I'm on the game plan. I'm going to do the Great Commission because Jesus told me to do it. And by golly, if Jesus said it, I'm doing it. And so let's just remove that off the equation because I'm telling you it's natural and normal. And so let's remove what Jesus said out of the picture for a moment. And let's just go look at three scenarios and let's just see if it naturally happened, okay? And so let's dive in. I'm going to look at three stories that you know real well. I'm not going to preach three different stories. I'm going to tell you briefly about the story. You can go read them yourself. But I think you'll see all three stories and come to the same conclusion. The first one is the woman at the well. You remember the story in John chapter 4, the Samaritan woman. Jesus was traveling, and he was thirsty, and he stops at the well for a drink, and he comes across a Samaritan woman, a woman with a checkered past, um, and um, somebody that Jesus probably shouldn't be hanging around with, and uh, she was a woman who had quite a history, and uh, in this course of the conversation, he asked where her husband is, and she says, I don't have a husband. He says, you're right. You have five husbands. She's like, okay, so who are you? And how do you know all my story? And he begins to explain who he is. And of course, if you've read this story, if you haven't, go read it. It's just a beautiful story. It's that Jesus demonstrates um, his, um, his love for her by telling her who he is and reveals himself to her. And she, she becomes a believer in him. And her life is just beautifully saved. And but what happens... Next is what I think you and I want, I want you to pay attention to. After this encounter with Jesus Christ, after he changes her life, look at verse 28. This is what she did next. What naturally happened, normally and naturally happens. 
the woman left her jar beside the well. And she ran back to the village. What'd she do? Telling everybody. And she says, come and see the man who told me everything I did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. Jump to verse 39. Some, uh, many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said. And he told me everything I ever did. This is what she said. Verse 40. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in the village. So he stayed there for two more days. Long enough for many more to hear the message and believe. And then they said to the woman, well, now we believe. Not just because of what you told us, but because now what we've heard ourselves. We know that he's indeed the savior of the world. You see, she went out and told the entire town about what Jesus did for her and how he changed her life. Did you catch that? Jesus changes her life and she naturally and normally, without having to be told, Jesus didn't say, now that I've changed your life, here's what I want you to do. You have a responsibility to go tell two people and they got to tell two people. It's like a pyramid, okay? And then they tell two people. And then those two people tell two people. You can't stop it after that. <laughs> right? I mean, this wasn't what he said. He just, like, and the, the cool thing is, she didn't have to clean her life up either before Jesus saved her. Like, look, pay attention to this. Bring your messed up, unsaved people to church. Don't wait till they clean their life up to invite them. Okay? Let Jesus clean them up. Let Jesus radically change them. It's okay. It's okay to have unsafe friends here, okay? It's okay. That's what Jesus did. But what ended up happening is that she met Jesus, and then she went back into her group of people, and they probably said, what happened to you? And she's like, you know, my story is a little messed up. And she's like, you know what? Who cares? Okay, yeah, so... Here's my backstory. It's a disaster, but this guy, Jesus, totally changed my life. She leveraged her mistakes, told what Jesus had did, and people got saved. Did she, did she have to go do that? No. Was it natural and normal for her to do it? Yes. And did a whole town get saved because of it? Yes. Do you see how the gospel grew? You see? Write this down. It's impossible I'm sorry, it's natural and normal. Sorry, this is write this down. It is natural and normal for us to tell people when our lives have been changed by Jesus. It is natural and normal. So, that's my question. Is Jesus doing something in your life? Because if he is, it should be natural and normal for you to talk about. What is Jesus currently doing in your life? Even if it's something in your recent past that's been maybe hard, maybe embarrassing. Maybe God just wants you to leverage that for his glory. <laughs> wow, can you imagine what he wants to do with your story? Maybe you're that woman at the well. It's natural and normal for you to share your story, what God's doing in your life. Well, now jump to a different story. You may or may not remember this story. It's Mark chapter 7. It's a brief story where Jesus heals a deaf man, and it's found in Mark chapter 7, verse 31 through 37. I'll read the little section of scripture for you. It's interesting. Verse 31, Jesus says, I mean, it says, Jesus left Tyre and went up to Sidon, 
where, uh, and before going back to the Sea of Galilee in the region of ten towns, a deaf man with a speech impediment was brought to Jesus. And the people begged Jesus to lay hands on the man to heal him. So Jesus led him away from the crowd so that they could be alone. This is kind of gross, so bear with me. Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears, and then he spits on his own fingers, and he touches the man's tongue. I'd be like, is there another way we can do this? (laughs) Is there any other way? I'd be cool with that. And Jesus, looking up into heaven, he sighed and says, Ephephetha, which means be opened. Instantly, the man could hear perfectly. And his tongue was freed so he could speak plainly. Now pay attention because this is what I want you to notice. Jesus told the crowd, there was a whole crowd of people, and he told the crowd, listen, don't, don't tell anyone. But the more he told them not to, the more they spread the news. Don't tell anyone. But the more he told them not to, the more they spread the news. They were completely amazed. Everything he does is wonderful. He even makes the deaf to hear and he gives speech to those who can't talk. Jesus told them, don't tell anyone. But all they could do was tell about it. Write this down. It's impossible not to tell people about what Jesus is doing in your life. Even when Jesus tells you not to. Look, I mean, you and I have a hard time. Doing the Great Commission, when Jesus says, go, he like tells us, and we read it, we memorize it, go into all the world and preach the God, right? And we don't do it. And Jesus told this crowd, don't do it. And they're like, yeah, but it was just totally cool. I got to tell somebody. <laughs> please, 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 can I tell somebody? They had to tell somebody. It's impossible not to tell people what Jesus has done in your life. The next story comes in Luke chapter 8, where Jesus heals a demon-possessed man. You, you'll know, I know you'll remember this story if you've been in church around, because it was a time when Jesus takes a, some demons that were in a man and cast them into a pigs, and the pigs ran over the cliff. Remember that story? Here's how this story ends. The man who had been freed from those demons begged to hang out with Jesus. He wanted to hang out with Jesus. But Jesus sent him home. He says, no, no, you can't spend time. I, you can't walk with me. I, I need you to go back home. Here's what I want you to do. Jesus gives him a direct command. And it's very similar to kind of a great commission. He says, I want you to go back to your family and tell them everything that God has done for you. So I'm going to give you a very specific assignment. I want you to go back to your family. It's a small group of people. It's not much to ask. I just want you to go to a small niche of people. And I want you to go tell them everything that God has done for you. He said, okay, I got it. I'm going to do that. So he went home. It says, so he went all through the town proclaiming the great things that Jesus said. Jesus sent him to his family. He's like, yeah, but I'm going to tell the whole town. I'm going to tell everybody. Do you see the exponential difference? You know, he could have just stopped there. Like, all he said was, just tell my family. So technically, my brother, my sister, my aunt, and uncle, cousin. Technically, my mom's divorced. I'm telling my stepfather, my mom, you know. But then I'm good. He's like, no, no. I'm going to tell anybody who listen in town. Do, do you see there's a contagious nature there? It's impossible not to tell people what Jesus has done in your life because sharing your faith is a fruit of life change. Don't miss this. It's a fruit. 
we got to stop looking at sharing the gospel as some door-to-door sales solicitation that you and I got saddled with. It is a fruit of who we are. If you're an orange tree, you're naturally going to produce oranges. I don't have to say, produce oranges, and you're going to go, okay. Produce oranges. Please don't screenshot that later. (laughs) No, the captions will be terrible. If you're an orange tree, you produce oranges. And what I'm here to tell you today, if you're a child of God, you tell your story about what God's done in your life. And so here's my challenge to you. My challenge is specific to Christians today because I know that there's a challenge within the Christian church. I know that many of us struggle with sharing our faith. And I'm, and I'm compassionate in understanding that it's easy for us to get focused on my kingdom. And I know it's easy for us to get focused on man knowing God more. But can I just ask you to just focus, put a little more effort and focus right now on what would it take in your life to make God known? And I'm telling you, it should be natural, normal. I'm not saying to put a new discipline in your life to say, oh, I'm going to try to get better at doing this. If you leave today with that type of feeling, then you've missed the point. You're leaving today feeling saddled with the responsibility that I'm trying to guilt you into sharing your faith. If that's what you're taking away from this message, man, you've missed the point. Go back and rewatch this. What I'm trying to say is, I want you to go back and look at the places in your life where God is growing you and changing you. On Mother's Day, I shared a message with you about three different ways that God works in us. Sometimes that God is working in us, like changing me on the inside. And if and so look at that area. What is God doing inside of you to change you? And then, then, then ask God to open the eyes of your heart to be able to see the people around you and look for opportunities. You have to look out of your kingdom. You have to look out of my little box in my bubble and ask God to give you eyes into his kingdom to say, God, where can the work that you're doing in my life benefit your kingdom? Lord, you're doing this in my life. I'm going to look out of my kingdom and look in your kingdom. What man or woman or child or teen or friend, can this be helpful that I share this story to. Next, the next place is that there's stuff that's happening to you. Pains and hurtful things and craziness. So Lord, this difficult thing that you're walking alongside me with or that you walked alongside me with in the past, how can I leverage this to help somebody outside of my kingdom? I want to look outside of my kingdom, Lord, and look into your kingdom, into a man, woman, student, somebody, father that you've placed into my path. How can I help them? And Father, the next way is God will use us in places that he's working through us in areas that we're serving him. And then we look outside of our kingdom and we say, Lord, how can you use that? How can you leverage that for your kingdom? It should be natural and normal for you. And it may be all happening. God may be currently working in your life in beautiful ways, but you're just out of the habit and you're, you're not looking for the opportunity. And so maybe for you, you just have to retrain your mind to look for the opportunity and then preach to your fear to say, I'm not going to be afraid. The early church wasn't afraid. What am I doing being afraid? I'm a child of God. I was created in Christ Jesus for this good work. I'm wired up for this job. 
yeah, I might fumble over my words. I might say the wrong thing. They may get offended. But I'm going to speak the truth in love the best way I know how. And I'm going to leave this up to God to handle the rest of it. Folks, this is the deal. Capital C Church may be messing this up, but North Point Church, we can get this right. And so I just want to challenge you. We're going to sing two songs. The first song is a song called Build My Life. And I want to challenge you to rebuild your thinking. And as we sing this first song, I want to challenge all my Christians that are out here today. Go back and ask God. Break my heart for what breaks yours. And open my eyes to see, Father, where I can re rebuild my thinking here. Help me, God, to be a person that naturally and normally shares my faith. If you don't normally do that, you have a reason to pray. Our leaders will be up front to pray with you if you want to pray with someone. Our front row's open to pray if you just want to pray privately. You can sit in your seat if you want to pray privately. But please do not push past the tension and not pray in this final moment. Would you do that with me? Would you do that for me? I'm going to pray for you, and we're going to close with a couple songs, okay? Father, thank you for this this time. Lord, I realize that there are people in this room watching, and there's people at home watching. But we have an opportunity to make a decision for both places. For those that are in the room right now, Father, and for those that are watching at home, I pray right now that you would move inside of our hearts, Lord, to be able to say, yes, I want God. I want to take it seriously. Take the decision seriously to make you known. Lord, we've seen in your word today that it is natural. It is normal. We were given such great examples, Father, by the early church of how they did it. Why is it today, God, that we've settled for status quo that it's just hard to do today? It's not. Father, let us awaken in our spirit and our soul and revive us, Lord, that we will become a generation that understands that time is of the essence and it is our duty and our responsibility <laughs> to take up this mantle now to help complete the work that you have called us to do. Not because we have to, but because it brings us great joy and gives you great pleasure. And we feel your favor when we do it. Father, I pray that for those that are watching at home, that they would pray and make this decision right now. For those that are watching in this room, that they would pray and make that decision right now. Whether they come forward in this room or whether they kneel on their couch or whether they kneel in their cubicle, Father, or whether they pull off the side of the road and they pray. May you do a work in us. And may we see the fruit of that work by watching ourselves become bold with sharing our faith. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said.